Welcome to the Get Real Safety Podcast, where we discuss the new view of safety, the things that work, the things that don't work, and try to break down old paradigms to help you improve safety in your organization. All right, well, good morning, and thanks for participating in this podcast. And we are today going to be talking about managing the COVID-19 exposures in construction. And I've got a couple of folks here today, and I think I'll introduce you. Um, well, let me go ahead and, and do both of you first. I have Hillary, uh, Hillary Warren. And Hillary is a CIH or Certified Industrial Hygienist. She's Senior Consultant with the OSHA 21D program um, at Georgia uh, Tech. She's been, um, been there for the past 15 years assisting businesses um, with both compliance and best practices and, and particularly in health. And Hillary's got a specific focus on assisting um, and minimizing health hazard exposures in construction. And she has just been super, super visible in the construction uh, here in the Southeast, helping folks out and participating in, in a lot of really good new stuff. So we're really glad to have her here. She's also course director and instructor over the OSHA Training Institute. And she is the current president of American Industrial Hygiene Association, uh, Georgia section be awesome. Um, Lisa, I did not get your bio. I've known you for many, many years. You want to give a quick um, introduction to yourself here? I have, uh, so thanks Pam. I've been working in the construction industry for just over 30 years. Um, CSP, CHST, and have worked in the Atlantic community with Hillary, with you all, with ProSafe. Um, and a lot of wonderful uh, peer groups out here, uh, just really trying to maintain safe and healthy workplaces, uh, work on best practices. Um, and I've been able to work on several partnerships uh, where we've, you know, had the benefit of um, developing some best practices, working with peer contractors and subcontractor markets, really to, to spread the good word, uh, and improve the health and safety in the workplace for employees. Uh, awesome. I was uh, also going to mention that you have been involved, highly involved in uh, some of the real high signature projects out there, like the Brave Stadium and Piedmont Hospital and, and many to name, but you've done some pretty phenomenal, had some pretty phenomenal results. So uh, I am our host, the host today here with ProSafe Solutions, Pam Fisher, and uh, been in construction, safety and health now for over 35 years. So been around doing that for quite some time and seen an awful lot of changes out there, but never seen anything like we are experiencing here today. Um, and I have relied on the two of you heavily uh, because I'm more in role of, I, uh, by the way, I'm also adjunct faculty at Georgia Tech and uh, course director there for many of the courses and heavy focus in construction and safety management and human performance. So I'm more in a, um, a, a training and consulting and facilitation role these days than in the field and you guys are right there on the front line so I really have heavily relied on you guys and a lot of our best practices have been flying around that you guys are coming up with and uh, just also want to add that we will have a um, some resources for folks in the speaker notes here after this uh, gets posted and a lot of that's been supplied by the two of you but I wanted to start out by asking um, this first question. Um, well, I'd like it to direct it first here. Before I get to my first question, Hillary, would you mind just giving a little overview of what you're seeing and what your thoughts are with today's world? Um, sure. Uh, it's changing every every day, it seems like, and then throughout the day. So. There's plenty of numbers out there and, and those are changing rapidly and I'm um, almost even not really trying to keep up with them just because they are um, 
mind boggling and we know they're going to get worse. And so I'm just sort of instead trying to focus more on on the proactive measures that we can take. But I think it is important as we are trying to make decisions kind of in real time. You know, there's the healthcare professionals that are trying to make decisions in real time, but then there's businesses that are trying to make decisions in real time um, on whether they're gonna shut a job down, right? Or they're gonna continue or um, looking at these definitions of what's essential work and, and what's not. Um, so, so what we're seeing um, is, you know, is good news. I was on a webinar yesterday and listening to the researchers at Duke University who, you know, are um, now moving forward um, with the disinfection of uh, PPE that has once just been determined to be one-time use uh, and now really um, putting it into, into these containers and disinfecting with vaporized hydrogen peroxide and it's working and that's what we're going to do um, for the meantime. We've got um, clinical trials underway, right? So we're, we're looking at um, medicines that are, you know, already out there and available on the market and, and, and looking at whether or not they're going to have some sort of effectiveness for this affected population. So that's like the good news, right? Like we can always start with the good news and certainly seeing um, people being kinder and people stepping up and people donating supplies. Our offices at, at Tech last week went in and um, unloaded all of the PPE that we have for classes and use for ourselves during consultation on site. And, um, put all of the N95s and booties and gloves that face shields that we have and donated them um, to the healthcare workers here. So, so that's all the good stuff, right? And I know you all have your own individual stories that you've heard too. Um, but otherwise what we're seeing, I think is still a lot of question and it's uh, variable from community to community at this point. And that's what's really frustrating for me as a public health person is um, not seeing consistency and enforcement. And that's the name of the game, even not during a crisis, I think, but it just becomes even more important right now is that we're not, um, we're not seeing the, the enforcement of what we really need to, which is people need to stay home if they can stay home. They really need to start tightening their circles of who they have contact with. And I know that's easier said than done, um, depending on what industry you're in and, and what your location is even globally in the world, right? Like we have, I have the privilege of being able to be in my home and um, really closing that circle down and people who live, um, in different circumstances, not single family homes, who rely on mass transportation to get where they need to go, that's an entirely different situation. So um, I know we're gonna talk a lot today about this term social or physical distancing and what it means and what it means on a job site. Um, but I do wanna just sort of start there from a public health perspective that Sure, we're going to talk about disinfection, and we're going to talk about um, PPE, and we're going to talk about, you know, what are the things that we can do to continue to operate um, from a business perspective, I think. But at the top of the list, in terms of what can we do, we need to just try to stay home um, as much as possible. And so I have to start with that as a, as a preventative, proactive measure both as a public health person and as a CIH when we are looking at control strategies you go to the top of the food chain which is your substitution or elimination or engineering controls and for this particular hazard it means being apart from each other as much as we can um, so that that colors everything that I'm going to say for the remainder of our time together and the messages that I've been giving people that we work with. So that's the, the challenge uh, then is to do social distancing and still have construction operating. And, and, and we've got the whole conversation that's going on about what is essential construction and what is not. And I'm gonna 
let you guys talk about more about that. But Lisa, let's. If you, I'm going to have you jump in and, and what has been your challenge and how you manage that social distancing. Well, I think you know there's several challenges that go along in the construction industry with um, social distancing and getting people to understand that social means physical i think that's one of one of the 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 bigger issues the first issue that we have to work through um getting people to take it seriously is another thing i think um we're getting to a point now in in um in our world that we are starting every almost every one of us now are are starting to have relatives or friends of relatives that have been affected uh, or are currently being affected by this virus. Uh, so there, it's more relatable. And I think the more, unfortunately, this is one of those that the more relatable it is, the more serious people take it. Um, I see on construction sites, uh, there are those that, that haven't quite figured it out. Um, they may maintain social distancing on the project uh, and be forced to do that with um, the way work has been rescheduled um, and reallocated, but yet there might be four people that ride to work in the same car, you know, together and, and uh, how they get to and from is different than how they actually work. And, and I don't think the correlation is there for them um, that they go together. You know, it's not social distance at work and then get back together, you know, with everybody, you know, on the ride home or, after work um, in, in other social situations. But I think getting people to understand social distancing and then working with crews to help them figure out how are they gonna get the job done, staying you know, a safe distance apart or what's considered a safe distance apart. And then what, uh, what situations are out there that don't allow that social distancing to take place and then how do we work around that and is it critical work that we have to get done now or is it something that we can push a little bit until we figure out a better way to do it or can we we restructure the work to minimize those situations where people have to work closer than six feet and then what parameters do we have to work within what ppe do we need uh, in those situations that we have to work together such as is pulling wire um, I happen to work right now with uh, some of our healthcare uh, groups, and that is is kind of an easy um, it, an easy transition to see that it's essential work, uh, especially one of the projects right now. We have just uh, we were able to get our CEO yesterday, and the hospital has moved up um, their activity dates to start moving patients over next week versus in three months like it was originally scheduled so they are needed to the hospital space um, we may end up building out more space for them to get that um, uh, work accelerated so that they can use the space that's being anticipated with with this current uh, pandemic and the patients that they're starting to see now um, but how do we work around it you know we we're going to have to work 24 7 to get that space available but then again there are going to be some things that that we're going to have to work around and work through on how do we get it done as safe as possible uh within the parameters that we have to work with and follow the cdc guidelines the the um, who guidelines uh, and just safe work practices in general so you mentioned like pulling wire i mean i'm just trying to visualize in my mind different tasks that we do from rigging to you know pouring concrete how are you doing those things how are you managing things like pre-work meetings and, and any kind of training well that you know that's it's interesting because i think we really have to change the way we think about how we're doing our work um, you know i have to i'm lucky enough to have some great uh contractors and subcontractors to work with and i think we this has enabled us to while we considered ourselves a team before i think this has really pulled everyone together to 
to help us understand that, hey, we're, we're going to have to kind of do some non-traditional things. Um, just something as simple as bringing folks on board and getting them through orientation. Orientations now are no more than 10 people. We are lucky enough to have some spacing to be able to space those folks out uh, where they're six feet or more apart. But you can't, if you're going to man, you know, or really in, increase the, the uh, personnel on the job fast, you're going to have to do more orientations, um, find different ways to do orientations. And that's pulling in our subcontractors and their safety reps and getting them to participate more than they otherwise would from a strict GC orientation standpoint. Um, we have to limit folks getting on the elevators. Um, you know, normally you're gonna put as many people on an elevator to get them up to their workspace uh, as fast as possible. And now we have to get people to understand that no, depending on the size of the elevator, we have to limit to a specific number of folks plus the operator. Um, dressing out an operator in PPE because that operator is in there all day um, is another condition and making sure that they're healthy enough to wear a respirator. Um, they're wearing gloves. We're, we're increasing the, the um, times that we're disinfecting and we've hired a third party to do dis disinfecting all day in some of these communal spaces. Um, drywall is another one, folks installing drywall. Uh, they're working closely together, installing the large sheets of drywall and um, figuring out ways um, to minimize the, the times that they are working close together. But recognizing that there are some things that, that somebody is going to have to work in a panel uh, or pull wire with somebody else and what PPE do we need to add for them for their safety. Hillary, I'm a, if you would jump in on this a little bit, because you had mentioned, we talked about disinfecting about, you know, porta johns, for example. What are your concerns? Yeah, I mean, like Lisa said, I think that it's all of the common surfaces that maybe don't typically get regular or thorough cleaning, right? So beyond sort of the porta john handles and, um, tools and ladders and um you know the the scissor lifts i mean anything and everything that is shared by people that are um have surfaces that are touched by hands uh have to start being included in in a cleaning protocol um and or minimized by how many people touch them right so it's like lisa said it's sort of re-looking at tasks that we commonly do and thinking about how they can be altered. Um, because, because additional cleaning takes additional time, right? And it takes additional resources. And so while some job sites have the ability to I think bring in a third party that is equipped to do that type of cleaning, others are not, right? And so that's gonna either fall to um, personnel that's there on the ground or they're not gonna do it. And um, who knows what that consistency looks like. Uh, or what resources are available to do it. So, you know, part of part of where we're at now, and I, I know I feel like we're all in this, just trying to do the best we can at the moment, given the circumstances and, and what's happening, but um, this is not going away, right? And even if we, when we see this downturn, um, you know, after a few weeks, um, you know, hopefully we're gonna see, you know, cases peak and then and then start to fall off for a bit the likelihood that we see another cycle or a third cycle of this you know in the next year is is out there um just given seasonality for, for how this is likely going to play out and so um putting protocols in place now right getting people used to doing work in a little bit of a different way, thinking about how we distance folks, what are the surfaces that we want to disinfect, um, and with, with what regularity and with what materials. Um, it's, it's likely not just this, this one-time thing we're going to be doing over the next month. It's something that we might need to do longer. Um, and, and so <clears throat> trying to sort of put that together into, into a protocol for ourselves and and companies is what we want to probably be doing. Yeah, the, the surfaces, um, 
to, to disinfect. I think what we're seeing this in our manufacturing clients as well is, is trying to figure out how close are people on a production line and where can we um, try to interrupt the chain of, of transmission um, with appropriate cleaning steps. And um, it's just amazing the number of surfaces that we know we all touch, the number of times we touch our faces, uh, all of that kind of stuff, right? And, and so um, trying to sort of capture that and think about where the, the links are gonna be um, and, and how we can interrupt them is, is important. I had a question for, for Lisa, Am I, can I ask her one? Wait. So about the orientation, Lisa, um, is, you know, we have our general topics that I know are normally covered in orientation and so has, orientation now been amended to include all of this stuff about COVID and, and what the measures are um, for the job site and, and all of that, or is that a separate training? Well, it's certainly been amended. Uh, I know for, for us, we've amended our uh, typical orientation to include it. We've had separate meetings, you know, I think because it's so new and I think people, you know, takes the average person seven times to hear something before it really kind of sinks in. Um, and there's so many parts to this, I think, that are um, that are not habit yet yeah. for employees. And so, yes, we, we cover it separate meetings. I cover it, you know, personally when I'm out on the job and talk to folks about it. Um, it's in orientations. It's in our safety team meetings with the safety, safety reps for contractors and, you know, again, really trying to hammer it, you know, down to those folks that are out there managing every day, our superintendents, our foremen, um, not just for, for our folks, but for our subcontractors as well, um, because we all need help uh, reminding everybody, because it's it just stopping to talk to somebody about an issue maybe on the 10th floor you know, it, it's such habit to, to just walk up to somebody and start talking to them or maybe turn around and, and look at the iPad or look at something on the, on the drawing and say, hey, look at this. And, you know, that's, it's a habit we need to step back and say, well, you know, well, stop, you know, let's talk about it a little bit at a distance and let's, you know, let's go look, let's, um, you know, I'm not going to hand you my iPad anymore to look at this part of the drawing. I'm going to stand back and show it to you. So it's, it's really trying to be, you know, overly conscious to, to make those adjustments and continually remind people. I think it's, uh, it's, it's been a difficult adjustment but I think because of the news coverage and all the announcements coming out the fact that there are I think it is difficult as it is for what's going on in different jurisdictions and trying to keep up with what the requirements are in different jurisdictions it actually helps me as a safety person because people are highly attuned to what's going on in the next county or what they are and aren't allowed to do and that so it makes them more aware of the current situation versus being standardized i think it might turn into white noise uh, a little bit more than than what it is so i don't you know i agree with you that it would be nice if we could have a you know a you know an overarching consistency with things and it would in some cases it would help but the fact that it is different i actually try to find some positive in it and that it does reinforce that hey there's there's a lot going on here that we need to pay attention to um, and understand that what's going on in the next county or maybe in the next state that's still affecting our company or operations in that in that state it could very well be here and so we really need to pay attention to it Hillary I've got a, a I'd like to follow up on that we were talking about social distancing and of course all you got to do is watch the news <laughs> and and you're you're hearing different things we've been hearing the six foot and then you know that's not enough where, where are we on that yeah i mean the the six foot rule is um i was telling another industry group about this last week and that it's 
it's not just an arbitrary number, right? There are uh, lots of studies that, that have been conducted well before we got to the situation that we're at um, that look at distance that, that aerosols travel um, when you sneeze, cough, talk, right? What are the things that are high velocity coming out of your mouth versus um, what are what are the aerodynamic principles of, of droplets in the air, in still air versus turbulent air? So I did want to just make sure that everyone understands that six foot didn't just come out of nowhere. It's it's based on um, on studies that that look at um, droplet transmission. Um, but but you know the the six foot is. Um, it's a good rule of thumb, I think, at the moment, and that's what people were sort of really uh, pushing on in the in the earlier days of this event, um, at least here. But I think what we're starting to see more of, and what they're doing more studies on, is trying to look at well, how long is it suspended in air, um, the particles versus you know, and and is there a significant difference in still air versus air where there's movement, whether it's breeze because you're outside or um, we're looking at trying to capture um, the particles in a hospital setting, for example, right? Like should we be putting ventilation systems around the heads of beds that draw the air that a patient might exhale, you know, more towards the, uh, towards the headboard and away from the rest of the room. Um, so we've got, We've got all kinds of things that are in play and being researched at the moment. We saw a lot on the news, I think, and maybe in our social media feeds of people saying, okay, well, they said six feet, so that means that then I'm going to go and drive to a parking lot and open the tailgate to my car and, and sit in it and still see my friends and, you know, kind of try to have a little bit of distance. And that that's, that's really not... Um, true social or physical distancing. Um, it's, it's better than nothing. It's better than three feet. It's better than two feet. But the, the messaging and the words that are actually being used, I think, are where people are getting confused on what um, their actions should really be. You know, the, and, and this was a conversation that, that some scientists on another webinar were having recently, sort of, while people in a in a public health circle understand what sort of what is meant by social distancing, other people need much more direct language, right? Saying stay six feet away or stay ten feet away. Only go to get groceries once a week. Um, you know, don't go to work if you're feeling symptomatic. Not not just sort of this more generalized try to keep your distance from people, right? Um, so, so yeah, I think the more distance that we can input between people, the better. And again, the best way to do that is to try to eliminate as much of, of the contact that we have had for certain things. If we can do that, uh, that's what we want to be doing. But on the, other, on the other instances, like Lisa said, I think where we know people have to be in close quarters, whether they're working in a confined space or they're riding people up and down in a buck hoist, um, consider that a confined space now, right? And have those people in appropriate PPE um, because they're, they're not able to achieve that, that true physical distance that we need them to have. Um, but I think it's really important that this message carry over, like Lisa said, outside of the workplace and into the messages that we've got for people once they leave the job site and are returning to wherever they're living, you know, whether it's communal living, um, it's driving together in a car, van share, whatever, um, and knowing that that if especially if they are in a in a situation where they're living communally with other people who are also having to leave that space and go to work, um, wherever that is, that that continues to just widen this circle of um, exposure potential. And that's um, that while they might be taking really good precautions on Lisa's job site, they're not necessarily um, in 
at the job site where where their cousin is working and who they're living with, right? Um, so I think trying to get that message um, drilled down to to the home life um, outside of work is really important. So I'd like to also go back to, you mentioned appropriate PPE and Lisa's talking about PPE. I don't know which one of you want to jump in here, but A, what is appropriate for riding in a buck hoist? And what is our availability out of the jobs now, since we know that we were, you know, basically asked to contribute PPE to healthcare, do we have a scarcity still of PPE on our jobs? Who wants to step in? Well, I'm very interested to hear what Lisa's got going on on her job sites. And maybe I'll, I'll let her answer that first and then and then talk about sort of what might be appropriate. Lisa? Well, I, you know, it's it certainly has evolved um, from when we started, you know, almost three weeks ago to where we are now and probably where we'll be you know, in two weeks, it will, will um, increase. And, and to both yours and Hillary's point, it is really getting hard to find PPE now for the construction folks um, to be able to do their work in a manner that protects them and protects the other employees. So for instance, an elevator or hoist operator that's in there all day um, and right now, Today, I'm at an existing facility. So we're using the, uh, the elevators uh, right now, but that employee's on there all day, every day. So a respirator, some uh, nitro gloves, certainly help him do his job uh, a little bit better. But again, that's, you know, he's, uh, that individual's in an N95. You know, we've just uh, fit tested him you know, done, done all the requirements for that, you know, medical questionnaire, um, gotten approved by a, a physician, but the availability of those respirators is very, they're, they're hard to come by. You know, we, we have a few, um, but like everybody else, we have donated to local hospitals, you know, to try and help uh, them get prepared and make, make it through, you know, some, some scarcity of supplies. Uh, and also we're waiting to hear what, what is appropriate, what can we do from, from the conversations that CDC is having, um, World Health Organization groups, you know, um, that Hillary's working with, what can we go to so that we're not using what I would deem critical respirators um, and do we move more towards something like a surgical mask that are a little bit easier to get, though still in scarce supply, but um, using N95s, I think provides great protection, but is it the right protection for somebody, for a construction worker moving employees day in and day out? Because we will run out quickly, you know, if, if that's our method. And, and listening to the same uh, presentation that Duke had yesterday, uh, it was a great presentation, but the method of decontamination, um, you know, for um, the personal protective equipment is something that is not really achievable on the construction side uh, to do that. So, you know, where do we go from here? We can make it for the next two weeks uh, with with those methods that we have in place and what we do after that, you know, we, we continually need to reevaluate it, you know, on a day by day, week by week basis. Hillary, what, uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's reevaluating everything constantly. And I think the looking at it, you know, a job um, position like the hoist operator who in in all other circumstances right is just in normal PPE gear but is now um, that's going to be one of the more exposed um, right positions that someone could have so 
thinking about, well, do we have PAPRs, right? Do we have powered air purifying respirators that maybe we have stored and used for the guys that are typically just doing, um, you know, deep foundation drilling or some other task, right? Like, can we reissue that type of PPE to someone else um, at this point? You know, I know that those filters on the PAPRs are also going to become more difficult to find, um, but it is, it's something to consider um, for these job tasks that we now are identifying as sort of um, higher risk just because of the number of people that they're going to be around. Um, and, and the N95s, you know, there's, there's a listing on CDC site now, and, and I know we talked about it earlier this week, and so Pam, I know you'll include that sort of in the speaker notes for this podcast, but just making sure people know that there are, um, options for respiratory protection, um, that are coming from other countries, um, <clears throat> that have gone through similar or identical testing to what we commonly know of as the disposable N95s here, um, that those are gonna be equivalent. And if they're available, then they're available. Um, you know, the concern that, that I've got as, a, as an industrial hygienist and watching work continue to go on, um, especially on construction sites, is that people are still completing tasks that expose them to things other than the coronavirus, right? Whether it's silica or lead or um, total particulate or other heavy metals. And so we want to make sure that they continue to be adequately protected during those tasks and, and that we're not trading. Um, there's, there's not a trade-off there. Um, and so we've got we've to gotta think about, um, I think, looking at what tasks can we delay, what tasks can be done differently um, that, that would lessen the exposure risk either for, for one of those other types of air contaminants so that you don't have to have people in, in as much gear as they normally would be to perform that job um, so that those resources can be redirected uh, to the things that are more risky for this viral impact. Um, but, but all of that also requires time and, and pre-planning and looking at where the schedule is going and what's happening with the project and um, what, are the, what are the other uh, items that are available. There was a um, conversation that I was hearing about the use of, sort of like the, the air purification systems that, that we would use in, in some types of uh, work activities. Like Lisa, you've got them on your hospital jobs, right? So that you've got um, air, air passing through a HEPA filter um, so that when it comes out on the other side, it's clean, right? As a way to contain work that someone might be doing on a pipe or you know, in an overhead space um, that maybe we're, we're using those more if they're available. And I've also heard about them being redirected to hospitals or healthcare settings so that um, if construction sites have them, that now they're, they're being asked to share those with folks in the healthcare setting um, to help create sort of more isolation wards for, for those that are, that are needing care. You guys haven't been, have you been approached for, for any of that equipment, Lise? Well, we um, we actually so we use them in everyday work in the healthcare setting. You know, the negative air machines, and we certainly are having conversations with um, you know the the hospitals and the departments about making sure that we create those negative air spaces um, to be able to exhausted at least from the patient population that they might be treating that we create those spaces um, as negative air spaces so that we don't have we lessen the risk of anything coming out to the construction spaces on the outside um, and normally you kind of would do the opposite so this is in particular to the COVID patients if you're working in and around those which we will be um, and I know some of our subcontractors already are in the existing uh, hospital. So, you know, their PPE requirements now have been redirected while those patient rooms, you know, 
are creating, you know, they are now a negative space. Those subcontractors are now having to dress out um, if they cannot create a negative space because of conditions, they're exhausting, you know, to roof areas. So we have to be careful, you know, it's another um, area of concern that we can't get up there and do roof work anymore. We have to coordinate new construction versus ongoing construction, but they're dressing out in Tyvek suits, you know, in respirators and, you know, um, gloves and, you know, the availability of the equipment, even though you're creating those negative spaces, you still have folks that still have to work in there. And even from a comfort level, for those employees, they don't, you know, they, they don't want to go in unprotected, you know, regardless of what the potential risk is. Uh, if it's a, it's a very low risk, they still want to dress out. And so again, trying to find that equipment now, um, both with our supply, I've called, you know, this morning I was on, I've called five different suppliers for Tyvek suits, for, um, for respirators, uh, for cleaning supplies, you know, just, I, d I don't want to get to the last three pairs of gloves or three Tyvek suits or respirators, but the orders that I have now continue to be um, pushed out because they're being redirected to more critical areas, which is, is really how it should be. But again, trying to figure out um, what those solutions are to continue to work, to continue to support, you know, the critical, the true critical um, construction projects that support the healthcare systems, you know, is, is challenging, you know, and again, it's something we are looking at negative air machines and where we traditionally might not have used them can we create safer spaces with them um, but like you said they're either being redirected again to more hospital spaces um, and then we have to look at those areas that we just can't create negative spaces you know because of conditions existing conditions in there um lisa i also wanted to ask you On the, you mentioned about people being hesitant to work somewhere unprotected. What what is the overall feeling you're getting from workers? You know, are they worried? Are they scared? Are they not scared enough? Uh, what do you what do you pick up out there from your folks? Yes, all <laughs> of that. We we have those that that are scared to death. We have those that I think. Um, have a healthy respect and, and general understanding of what's going on and try to do the right thing. And then there are those just like we see out in the communities that really, um, you know, for whatever reasoning they have, uh, they, they really don't, they don't understand and give, you know, a whole lot of credence to um, what, what's going on and what we really need to be doing to flatten the curve. So on the construction side, it's not any different. Um, and again, there are those that I think they, they understand from a job site perspective because we've, you know, we're doing signage, we're doing additional hand wash stations where, um, you know, we've added things and are doing things on the job, restricting, you know, elevator usage, number of folks, um, spreading people out. We've, we've completely redone how we do um, our typical job-wide safety meetings, uh, orientations and that, you know, we've had to rethink that uh, and we have different solutions for different jobs. But, uh, but then again, there's still a handful of folks, you know, I, I saw a delivery vehicle a couple of days ago that I know their company has a, a, a good policy put in place to address the current situation. Um, with uh, COVID-19, but probably unbeknownst to uh, management, those groups, uh, several folks piled into the, the delivery truck to go ride to the job to get the material delivered and offloaded and, and out to where it needs to go. So, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know, and, and to the points made earlier, some of these folks otherwise would take public transportation or they don't have any other transportation. So it's the only way they know 
to get the job done and continue to to bring a paycheck in, which I know is a big concern for everybody. So variables in risk tolerance and risk perception is, is our life outside of this. But um, you mentioned when it gets more real, that may change some of that perception. Unfortunately, it may be a little late. So we are now almost, or I think we're right up on an hour and we wanted to try to cut it off. I'd like to hopefully do another version of this as we go along. Um, and then again, maybe we can bring in some of the folks that were not able to come today, but I'd like to just maybe start with you, Hillary, and, and do you have any parting words or thoughts here for us? Um, yeah, I mean, I. I think now more than ever, if, if we can um, continue to just encourage our folks to be cognizant of, of where they're getting information, right, and that we want um, hopefully to be on our, on our job sites, good sources of information or help direct people on, on where to get it. Um, that, you know, I got an email from my dad this morning, right? He was forwarding on something that he was like, this is good information from Johns Hopkins. And I had to send it back to him and say, this didn't come from Johns Hopkins. You know, this is, um, this is making the rounds on, on email and in social media. And while some of the information in it is okay, some of it has not been validated. So we just have to be, you know, sort of informed uh, consumers of our, of our info. And there are um, an increasing number of um, resources that I think are available specifically for construction, which I'm really glad to see. You know, the, the initial focus was, was really pushing towards um, healthcare settings, obviously, and, and other types of industry. But um, the, the groups that do work in construction research, you know, are continuing do that and so CPWR and um, CDC and the Department of Public Health those are, are where we want to go for information for um, for this particular group I think um, and and I you know the other parting thought besides information is is while everyone is vulnerable and um, and everyone is capable of transmitting currently the this COVID-19 it it is still um, primarily those in higher risk categories and so I think that's a message that while we can't um, I don't think we're out of place yet where on job sites you know you're saying you can work and you can't we we want to make sure that folks understand that those individuals with underlying conditions are still most at risk of hospitalization and, um, or worse, right? And, and so we're looking at the, the data that just came out, I think this morning, you know, 95, 94% of those that were hospitalized and then subsequently died so far, you know, have been those in the higher risk category. So those that are older, those that have, um, you know, underlying heart or lung conditions, whether it's high blood pressure, diabetes, COPD, asthma, um, have previously had cancer, all of those are, are higher, higher risk factor health conditions. And I, I think we really wanna be trying to communicate that to our workforce um, so that they, they hear that from all angles, whether it's online, you know, through the news, and then also at work, so that we're trying to convey that we, you know, we care about everybody, obviously, and we're putting all of these measures in place to try to protect everybody, but, but we've got some folks who are at higher risk, and they are on our job sites, and, and we need to be um, watching out for, for everybody, um, and that's all a responsibility for everyone that's that's on a job site and continuing to show up for work. Um, so I think the, the messaging is is also really important. Trying to put things in the most simple terms, um, in the most real terms, and um, and the most proactive terms that we can, um, if we're going to continue to to work in spaces together through this. Lisa? 
So to, to Hillary's point, um, it, it's a huge responsibility that we have um, to our employees and then to the community at large. Um, and we have to get it right. Um, certainly this caught, I think, the, you know, pretty, pretty much all of us off guard. Uh, I, I don't think, um, even though we've thought about it, what might we do, what general programs do we have in place to deal with a situation that might be like this, uh, I, I think a lot of us are learning uh, right now, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, my peers, my peer contractors, you know, the, the ability to reach out uh, and have people answer a call for shared information and what are you doing in this situation? How are you handling this? Um, what solutions have you found for this? Um, the fact that people are, are trading so much information, uh, I think has certainly helped us. Uh, it's helped our communities at large. Um, and, it, you know, it's helped us develop a program Obviously, it's changing every day, and we're trying to improve on it every day and, and answer the calls for, you know, the new things that are coming out from the Department of Health, from CDC, um, and, and get it right every day, but making sure that our employees are protected, um, that we can still go to work every day. It is a huge privilege to be able to, um, to be considered an essential uh, workforce right now and and we need to do right by it um, because it can all be shut down in a heartbeat and I think if we just take a minute to look around and see who's not working um, and most of that is not by choice um, we could all be in that situation so getting it right sharing information relying on on accurate and good information um, and then teaching our workforce every day and reminding them every day what's the right thing to do and, and how to solve these problems uh, in, in a simple way is, is really where we need to focus our time and attention to. Well, thank you both for joining us here today. And I think there was a lot of good conversation. If you would, please. Also check the speaker notes. We will try to put those good resources there that folks can rely on. And if anyone uh, watching or listening um, would like to let us know other areas you'd like us to touch on in a future podcast, we'll, we'll try to do that. Thanks again and stay safe out there and flatten the curve. Thank you. Thank you. Technical.